We're looking this morning at the subject of Satan and the cross. And you'll notice in your bulletin outline, angels and men, creatures all. We're all familiar with the Genesis account of the fall of man into sin. Adam and later his wife Eve were created by God and placed within a beautiful tropical paradise called Eden. There every need was supplied by God. They lacked zero. They lacked nothing. They were not restricted by a plethora of rules. God did not issue ten commandments, nor five commandments, nor three commandments. He only issued one commandment, and it was this. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's intent was that they only know the good. And that is how God had made them. In Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Then into this pristine environment, devoid of hostility in the animals, full of congeniality and love for God in our first parents, harmony in the home among themselves, into this came a serpent who boldly contradicted God's penalty issued for disobedience, saying this, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 verse 4. Have you ever considered the blessing that it would be, that it would be, not to know evil? Just think about that. Not to know evil but to only know the good, not to have evil around to know. The news of our day is often so depressing. Why? Because it's filled from beginning to end with the collapse of the economy, the kidnapping of a young child, the rape of a woman walking across a college campus, the robbery of an elderly person in a rural setting, the shooting spree of someone in a public school, loss of personal freedoms, the closing of yet another company, more jobs lost to China or at least out of the state. We begin to believe that, hey, you know, no news is good news because the news is nothing less than the report of all the vile and wicked things men do to one another in our cursed world. And it is cursed because Adam and Eve believed the liar over God. They listened to the serpent who had no personal history with them of good counsel and they rejected the God who cannot and does not lie. This is how sin came to us as human beings. Paul writes, sin entered the world. It wasn't here originally. Everything was good as God created, but sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And, this, and in this way, death came to all men because all sin. Romans 5 verse 12. This was the entrance of sin into our world. Yes, but you know, it was not the first sin. It was not the first sin. That notoriety goes to the serpent himself, and not on earth, but in heaven, the abode of God and angels. The Bible affirms that angels are the inhabitants of heaven, and that they, like us, were, are, created by God. We normally conceive the Genesis account to be that of the creation of our world only, but consider some verses here. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and so on as it goes on. And what follows is the creative creation story of our earth and its inhabitants. Chapter 2 of Genesis verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 4 says, 
This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So clearly there's another world, there's another realm called the heavens or heaven that was also created. For example, Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven where he saw things that he was not allowed to express. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2. So we have the creation of both areas. Solomon in his dedicatory prayer of the temple repeatedly affirms heaven as the abode of God. Here the supplications of your servant, says Solomon, and of your people Israel, when they pray towards this place, towards the temple, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. 1 Kings 8, verse 30. And then he talks about, well, what happens when the foreigner prays? And he says this, Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, and do whatever the foreigner asks of you. 1 Kings 8, verse 43. So whoever's doing the praying, Solomon is asking that the Lord who dwells in heaven would hear and answer. So God dwells in heaven, but there are other beings, created beings, who dwell in heaven. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, writes Paul, Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Colossians 1 verse 16. Jesus warned his disciples, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Matthew 18, verse 10. Or of the day of Christ's return, Jesus said, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 24, verse 36. And Peter writes, Who has gone into heaven, speaking of Jesus' ascension, and is at God's right hand with Angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Why would angels be in submission to Christ? Because they are created beings and He is their Creator. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 8 and he says of God's creation of man... You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. Hebrews 2 verse 7. So yes, man is created being, but do you not see here that angels are said to be created as well? Some of the things we know about angels is that they, uh, it was a one-time creation. Whereas man reproduces the angels. Uh, do not. So that brings us, and secondly, to Satan's origin. Who is he and what was he? Well, Ezekiel writes, You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's the Genesis account we just read. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Ezekiel 28, 13 through 15. Who was Satan? He was an angel of great importance and great power. A guardian cherub, Ezekiel says, but a created being nonetheless. And Ezekiel hints of trouble. Though saying you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. 
blameless till wickedness. See? Created perfect, just like Adam. Just like Eve. Blameless till something happened. Wickedness. What wickedness? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 14, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it says Lucifer. And uh, I've had people say, I don't like the NIV because it calls Lucifer the morning star. Well, if you look at the Hebrew there, guess what the translation of the Hebrew word is? It means, oh, morning star. But Lucifer comes from the Latin Vulgate, which is a translation. You know, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. But they began to, in Roman culture, it was translated into Latin, which wasn't, it was not a dead language back then. And the, the word is Lucifer in Latin. And guess what Lucifer means? Light bearer. So it goes along with the concept of, oh, morning star. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? See, there's that, that reference to light. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15. Christ alone is the light of God to his creation. He could say and did say to his disciples, While I was in the world, I am the light of the world. John 9, verse 5. Yet in heaven where Christ is now, the Bible says, The city, the heavenly Jerusalem, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb, that is Jesus, is its lamp. Revelation 21, verse 23. Even more convincing is Revelation 22, verse 6, which we read this morning. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. There's a little guy who thinks he's the bright morning star, Lucifer, the anointed cherub. And then there is Christ who is the bright and morning star. And by the way, a morning star is the kind of stars you can see right now out in Outside in the bright sunlight, if you look in certain portions of the sky, you can still see the brightest of the stars. They're not blocked out by the sun. And that is the point, that Christ is the one who shines on, shines ever brighter. So, what are we going to do, or what it rather is going on in Isaiah 14, is a rogue angel. That's what we got. A rogue angel in rebellion to Christ his creator, who assumes the title of Christ, Moaning Star. And in his bid to raise his own throne above the stars of God and to seat himself in the mount of the assembly and declare himself to be the Most High. Ezekiel 28, verse 17. That text tells us that his sin was P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Pride. Now understand, this is pre-earth. This is post-creation of heaven and its inhabitants. It's post-human beings, Adam and Eve, being tempted by Satan. So what did God do about this? Well, we read in the Revelation, there was war in heaven. We read that and it sounds very strange to us, doesn't it? War in heaven? War in heaven? We have wars down here, but war in heaven? There was war in heaven, writes John. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The great dragon was hurled down that serpent of old called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Well, it started with Adam and Eve, didn't it? He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So you see, this was a conspiracy. It wasn't just Lucifer making a bid for the place of the Most High. He had a following. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and woe to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. Here's the entrance into mankind, you see. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Revelation 12, verse 7 through 12. So you're getting a background of what was on behind the scenes and the creation of Adam and Eve. And then Satan comes down to the earth, to, the, to mankind, and begins to exercise his fury and his rage against God by attacking his creation. So the first sin was in heaven, not on earth. But because Satan was cast to the earth, all here were and are subject to his temptation to sin. Adam had the power to resist, but he chose not to. He believed the liar, and in believing the liar, he joined the rebellion. We don't want to hear that about the head of our race. He joined with the rebel. He joined with Satan and the fallen angels. That brings us to the third point. Now, now there is a war for heaven and earth. That is raging. It's been raging ever since Adam's fall. How big a rebellion was Satan's revolt? You ever think about that? The Bible has an answer. The dragon, the serpent, we read of him in Revelation 12 verse 4. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Revelation 12 verse 4 referring to Mary giving birth to Christ. Now the term star or stars plural is often used in scripture to designate angels. You want to reference on that it's Job's Job 38, verse 7, where the angels are called the stars of heaven. So when it talks about the dragon with his tail sweeping a third of the stars from the sky, it's not talking about these orbits that light up every night. It's talking about those angels that sided with him in the rebellion. So one third of heaven's angels join in following the serpent and were expelled from heaven. Verse 9 says, He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And his angels with him. Revelation 12 verse 9. Jude speaks of the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Jude verse 6. And Peter makes this analysis. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. 2 Peter 2 verse 4. These wicked angels are to share in Satan's judgment, which is certain, but not operational yet. We're kind of in the not quite here yet, but promised coming 
The demons are some of the wicked angels alive and active in our world to foment Satan's tyranny. Jesus said of hell that it was a secondary creation. By that I mean this. It was designed after this rebellion. Let me read it for you. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. So hell has a specific reference to the rebellion of Satan and his angels. It was created, can I say it this way, especially for them. Especially to punish them. The demons in the man of Gadara said to Jesus, as he commanded them to come out of that man, What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Matthew 8, verse 29. You see, they know about it. And they know that there is an appointed time. And they say to Jesus, you know, you're a little early. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? I hope you're beginning to see the big picture here. What we have in the creation account of Genesis is primarily a description of the creation of our earth before sin entered. But sin did enter. And it came by way of a revolt which occurred in heaven. And the chief perpetrator was that one Jesus called the serpent of old, and again whom he named a murderer from the beginning. Think again of Adam and Eve, not holding to the truth, says Jesus, a liar in other words, for there is no truth in him. John 8 verse 44. Paul says of our first parents, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The Greek in this text in Romans says the lie, not just any lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What lie? That lie where Satan said to them, you will not surely die. God said, yeah, you will. And he says, no, no, you won't. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served and bowed down to the created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Romans 1, verse 25. They exchanged truth for the lie. They worshiped idols instead of worshiping the God who told them the truth. True, Eve was culpable for being seduced to sin by the serpent and was subsequently cursed by God. And yes, Adam too was culpable, even more so as the federal head of the race and as one who was not deceived, as was Eve on the transgression. You can read about that in 1 Timothy 2 verse 14. And he was judged by God, but there's a third party involved here who is Satan, the serpent. And that's a third curse that took. He has done his worst to ruin the created earth and its inhabitants as he did in heaven with himself and the angels. And without his temptation, without his lies, without his wicked distortions of the truth, without his assault on and his misrepresentation of God's character and promises, none of the evil which resulted would have occurred. And so he is cursed too. In fact, he is cursed and will be destroyed by the seed of the woman whom he tempted and won to his allegiance. His doom is assured by the very one in heaven that he opposed and by whom he was expelled to the earth. Michael, the archangel, working under the direction of God Almighty. Genesis 3 text, verse 15, puts it this way. So the Lord God said... To the serpent, because you have done this, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. That's why snakes crawl. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3, 14, verse 15. So we're talking of a dual kind of prophecy here to the physical serpent who most commentators think was upright, like maybe one of the other of the animal creation, is now cursed to crawl in the dirt. That's the physical animal. And then you have the serpent, the dragon that was thrown out of heaven. He's cursed and doomed to be crushed by Christ. The fulfillment of this is the outcome of Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. There it is. Born under law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Mary's genealogy ends in Luke 3 with this affirmation that Adam was the son of God. Luke 3, verse 38. Because he was created directly by God. But the race was doomed for destruction in Adam because of his sin. So God is in a warfare to bring all of his sons into his family. But the paradigm has shifted from natural birth to reborn, new birth. It's shifted from child of the devil to adopted sons of God. That's the warfare that's going on now with regard to the race. Paul writes in Romans 8, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's going to bring things back to where they should have been. Now while we wait for this to occur, the warfare rages on. But there's no question as to outcome. The demons knew there was an appointed time for their judgment. We, we read that this morning. Revelation 12 verse 12 says that the devil knows that his time is short. He knows. And we ought to know some things too. We ought to know what Paul writes in Ephesians 1. For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, listen to this, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So clearly God has determined to populate his family not through native-born sons of Adam the sinner, but through adopted sons born anew through Jesus Christ and his power. Now about this time, people always ask questions like I'm going to pose to you. And I, I, I've asked these same questions. Here we go. Why didn't God stop Satan in his tracks? One of the questions we ask. Why did he go this route of the fall of man into sin, then sending his perfect son, Obtaining redemption to buy, when you redeem something, you're buying it back, right? Anyone have ever taken anything to a pawn shop, you, you know how redemption works. You give up your item, and you got 60 days or whatever it is to redeem it, or the pawn shop owner owns it and is going to keep it, and then sell it on his own. That's how redemption is. Why did he go this route fall of man into sin, and then redemption, buying him back through the precious blood of Christ, his son. Why a devil among the angels? Why a revolt in heaven, wherein a third of its inhabitants were expelled? Why, 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 why? You know what the Bible says? Bible gives you no answer for any of these questions. 
All we have is what God has revealed. The secret things belong to God and He's not talking. You say, well, well, we want to know things. You see that sin of the garden? We want to know like God. And Satan says, oh yeah, you can know like God. All you got to do is disobey. No, we cannot know like God. He's not talking. He's not sharing everything. We may only venture to say that God in his sovereignty is determined to prove to Satan and to the world that he alone is God. There is no other. His plan alone will be implemented, which is to save his elect, whose names are written in his registry before the creation of the world, Revelation 17, verse 8. So it isn't like Satan messed up his plan. (laughs) You've got to get it. Satan is in his plan. In heaven's revolt, a third of the angels were swallowed up in Satan's wickedness and were lost. But two-thirds of heaven's angels, those called the elect angels, 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, they were not caught up into it. There's elect angels. Did you know that? Same as there is elect people. Everything is in control by God. Similarly, though the entire race looks doomed because of Satan's deception and power, it is not because God has an elect people chosen for adoption and there is no way hell will win in this war. To Titus, Paul wrote, A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Titus 1, 1-3. Before the beginning of time, God had... This gospel all worked out. You are not an afterthought with God. Salvation is not an afterthought. Satan is not an afterthought and how God would deal with him. Before time, there was a decree that God would have a people of his own among the people of the earth who would fall prey to Satan's revolt, which had not occurred yet. Satan has been defeated from the beginning. He has played into God's hands. His attempts to damn the race is destined for frustration and failure. The elect remnant preserves the race, while the devil and his followers will be sent to hell prepared for them. This war in the heavens for the hearts and minds of men is a macrocosm of the book of Job that we read about this morning. The battle between Satan and God over Job's integrity and faith. Get it now, by God's permission. Job was beaten to a pulp emotionally and spiritually and materially. Yet his affirmation about God to his friends was this. Though he, God, though God slay me, Yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless man would dare come before him. Job 13, verse 15. No matter what he does to me, he he can kill me. Yet my hope is in him. And likewise, the redeemed of Christ overcome Satan. We read, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelation 12, verse 11. History proves that the Christian killers 
could not stamp out Christianity by killing off the Christians. All did is make them stronger, more resolved in their faith. Like Job, the people of Christ refused to renounce God when Satan brings heartache and pain and suffering into their lives. Instead, they endure to the end and they're saved. God power is responsible for this. You don't get to pat yourself on the back. The power of the saving blood of Jesus held out in the gospel, which is the power to save. Peter put it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, this, listen to this, into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. No doubt as to who's going to win this war. No doubt whatsoever. Now I say that because what we do is we get our eyes on those news broadcasts that I referred to earlier and we see all the evil and wickednesses in the world that is in the world and we say, we question, God, where are you? What's going on? Looks like you're losing and Satan is winning. Well, it ain't over yet, folks. <laughs> We're just in our little spot in history. But guess what? Christ and his people are still here. After centuries and centuries, after millennium of persecution, we're still here. Still believing the same gospel. Still trusting the same God. Still leaning on the same Savior. Yes, Satan is still doing his work. He's fighting like that roaring lion, seeking to devour. But God is snatching out of the kingdom of darkness bringing into the kingdom of light this person, this man, this woman, this child, building his family through adoption. And that brings us then to the last point of the message, the sevenfold defeat of Satan by Christ in the cross. We really need to get this down into our souls. Number one, God used the evil of Satan to accomplish his own will. Now, now, I was careful on how I worded that. God didn't, did not make Satan evil. Not saying that. He didn't make Lucifer. He didn't make the guardian cherub evil. But when he became evil, he used Satan and his evil to accomplish his own will. Now that's power. That's real power. When you can come into another person's psyche... Their will, their determination, and so construct the events of history that you use them. You don't make them evil. They're just being themselves. But you use that to bring about what you want to be accomplished. So where do you read that? Let me read it for you. It's in Acts 4. Indeed, Herod, king of the Jews in the times of Christ, Indeed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So here comes Christ, born of Mary, grows up, becomes a prophet, is advocating the gospel of grace. And you've got Herod and Pontius Pilate formulating a conspiracy along with the Gentiles and the Jews of the city of Jerusalem to put Jesus to death. Now the next, the next line is the most important. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Acts 4 verse 27 and 28. What is he saying? Luke is saying... Herod and Pilate and all these other guys actually accomplished the will of God 
when they crucified Christ. He was sent for that purpose. Hebrews 10 talks about him coming with a body for the purpose of making atonement for his people's sins. God can't die. God is spirit, but God in body can die. So give him a body, which is what God did. And then you got these evil men saying, well, we, 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 we. he's innocent, but they accused him of things and put him to death. Scripture tells us that Herod and Pilate became buddy-buddy over the crucifixion of Jesus, the one applauding the other. They couldn't stand each other prior. But when it came to Jesus' death, they set their differences aside. We read in Luke 12, 23, verse 12, this, that day, that day, crucifixion day, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Think about that. Think about the power of God in this. Here they are. You know, Herod's, he's the king. Pilate, it's the governor. They're like this. You're not getting along. But they sure got along when it came to, what are we going to do with this prophet from Nazareth? Oh, well, crucify him. Or again, Peter writes, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Acts 2, verse 23. There again. You're doing your worst, but I want you to know that when you're doing your worst, it was according to the set purpose and foreknowledge of God that that occurred. Now, Peter wasn't always of this persuasion. On one occasion, he protested Jesus' assertion that he was headed for the cross. You remember that? And Peter said, this will never happen to you, Lord. And Jesus rebuked him. Listen to the rebuke. And you'll get the picture here. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but on the things of men. Matthew 16, verse 23. For that particular suggestion, Peter was being used by Satan. And there is a sense in which Satan did not want Christ on a cross because it would mean his own defeat, but there is another sense in which because he was a murderer, it was just too irresistible not to kill the Son of God. The murderer from the beginning was hoping against hope that the cross would be the end of God's Son. The first thing to understand then is that Satan was being used by God. Number two, Christ gave spiritual sight to those blinded by the evil one. I'm talking about spiritual blindness now. Christ's commission to Paul at his conversion on that road to Damascus was this. I am sending you to open their eyes, Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. It's our mission thing. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26, verse 18. Or again, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's back in Genesis on the creation, right? Let light shine out of darkness. What happened? He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. So here again, you got Satan. His, his goal is to blind people to the truth of the gospel, turn them away from Christ. Don't look at Christ. Don't believe him. He's, the liar is doing his work. And, and we would say, oh, well, how are people going to ever see and believe? You got Satan out there putting blinders on them. Paul's answer, you know, God created. Our earth out of darkness, it was darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
was without form and was void, it was empty, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so same in the spiritual realm with people who are darkened in their understanding, God says, let there be light. And the blinders come off and we see. You're beholden to God, I'm beholden to God to see the truth of the gospel. Number three, Christ dealt with all of our sin that Satan uses to condemn us. The Bible says the sting of death, the reason death hurts, the reason death bothers us, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 and 57. How did Christ accomplish this? Paul again, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us, listen to this, all our sins. All our sins? All our sins. How do you do that? Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away nailing it to the cross. And, here's the second part, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians, 1, or Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15. The law's penalty was exacted on Christ for all who will trust him as substitute. See, the law is the standard. And when we trespass, we're, concluding, we're, we're concluded as sinners. So Christ comes along. He fulfills the law for us, steps in. He fulfills the law right down he says in the Sermon on the Mount, every jot and tittle, those are the little accent marks that you find in foreign languages. And then he did something else. He paid the penalty for the laws that we had broken. Past, present, yeah, even in the future. Satan is called the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. Revelation 12, verse 10. But Paul affirms, who is he that condemns? He asks this question. Well, we say, we, we just read, Satan condemns us. He slanders us. He accuses us. He's got the ammunition on us. He's got the goods on us. Paul says, who is he con that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Romans 8, verse 34. If you got the creator of the universe interceding for you before the God of the universe, the accuser is silenced. Christ forgave us all of our sins. And his defense is, hey, my blood covers so-and-so's sin. This Satan guy has nothing to say. Number four, Christ protects his people from apostasy. I've talked to a number of Christians about this. They worry that in the day of persecution, they might renounce Christ. They might fall away. But Christ protects us from falling away into sin and judgment. Listen to his prayer. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. While I was in the world, I protected them. I kept them safe. None of them have been lost except the one doomed to destruction. That's Judas. John 17, verse 11 and following. Well, why do we need protection? Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
You see this contest? This is the cross and Satan. This is what this is all about. Jude writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, of J- uh, James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Jude verse 1. Doesn't get any better than Christ having a hold of you and keeping you in his care. Number five. Christ revoked our fear of death. Let me read it for you. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. The devil's power of death was and is his ability to get people to sin and to suffer the consequence of that sin. But what if someone steps in and pays the wages of that sin for them? That takes the wind out of the devil's sails. He has nothing with which to condemn you anymore. He can't say, but, 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 don't. He tried that with Job, remember, we read it in the text. Well, you know, the only reason he so serves you is because you build a hedge around him. Everything he does is protected by you. But he's proven wrong in that. Listen to Paul's glorious benediction. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, you know, it isn't like the Bible authors haven't asked these hard questions. They have asked the hard questions before. And then he answers it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hmm. Am I going to apostatize? Am am I going to be lost? Am I going to fall away from Christ? Am I going to miss heaven? You know, all these questions we have. Here's his answer. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine. Now these are all physical problems, right? Or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. That's true. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how the world views God's people. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, now listen to these phrases, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 35-39. There's no apostasy for God's true people because you're kept by the power of God. Satan loses converts to God when they are translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought over into the kingdom of light. But God doesn't lose converts to Satan. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with us being good. It has to do with God being great. Our great God. Number six, Christ made us alive in him and pledges life eternal. Paul writes, we were therefore buried with him, that's with Christ, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know 
that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 6, verse 4 and following. That's that identification thing again. Christ standing in as our substitute, doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. So when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he's resurrected to life, the promise is for us to be resurrected to life. And that begins firstly spiritually, but eventually physically as well. And then last of all, Christ guarantees the final overthrow of Satan and wickedness. This war between, for, this war for heaven and earth is going to end with Satan's defeat, utter defeat. Psalm 2 speaks about the nations that combine forces and who's the God of the nations? It's, it's Satan. They combine their forces against God and his anointed, his Christ. And so we read in Psalm 2 that God rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then he turns and addresses Jesus the Son. Ask for me, he says to Jesus, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings... Be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2, 5 and following. He's saying to the nations, time to repent. You're coming out in a federation with your leader against God and his anointed one, God and Christ. And you think you're going to whip us. I want you to know I've already installed my king on my holy hill. He's already in the place of rule. You can't dethrone him. You can't pull him down. He's already in the position of authority. He has an iron scepter. Iron over pottery. You lose. You will be smashed to smithereens. Time for you to kiss the sun. Kiss his feet. Kiss his hand. Kiss his ring. Because you know, his anger can be whipped up in an instant. And when that occurs, you will perish in your way. There is no doubt, brethren, as to the outcome. And I love the way the psalm ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The reason God comes forward with his threats. I shouldn't say they're threats. They're, they're promises. <laughs> is that he wants people to repent of that kind of rebellion. And come under his wings. Come get on that side of the moat. Come into the city. We'll put the drawbridge up. You'll be safe. You'll in the, be in the safe haven. And so he says to the nations, if you come out in battle array, you're going to lose. But if you'll kiss the sun, you'll submit. You'll be blessed. And 2 Peter 3 verse 13 promises that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. The old things will be passed away. And the new things will come. I want you all to be part of the new things that are to come. Lord, grant faith and repentance to those that yet are in rebellion to you. Bring them this day to know you. Here we see in a sevenfold way how you and your cross defeated our arch enemy, the devil, and robbed him, can we say that, of his constituency, his citizens, and made them the citizens of heaven through the shed blood of Christ. We're apprehensive about death because there's a bit of the unknown that we don't have in our understanding, but we no longer fear death because to be absent from the body is to be instantly present with the Lord. 
Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels and all who are hellish in their nature and will not give up their rebellion. But for we who have surrendered to your grace, there's the promise of life eternal. That's why you came. That's why you died. To win us back. Back from the broken law. Back from the temptations of Satan. Back to our willful sin. You brought us back from all of that to righteousness in Christ. Be for that struggling soul here this morning and bring them back too, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.